0: Welcome back, everybody, to the In the dome podcast, podcast, podcast.
1: Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone?
0: Yeah, I love that show.
1: Okay, so like you know how every episode is like where the guy, <laughs> guy wakes up and exactly in a world where everyone thinks Chris Tanev is a four and a half million dollar defenseman.
0: In a world where Brad True Living is not actually an NHL GM.
1: You are in the Twilight Zone. Like I feel like I feel like every time there's some sort of player acquisition or whatever. Like I wake up and you wake up and we're the same, but everybody else is different. And it's like Chris Tannehill has signed a four-year, four and a half million dollar deal with the Calgary Flames, and and we're like, wait, what? That's insane. And everyone else is like, what do you mean? It's great. What are you talking about? It's awesome. I just feel like I'm in a never-ending episode of the Twilight Zone where it's like. I wake up, I'm the same. Everything that I think makes sense doesn't make sense to everybody else and to Branch, you're living in the Carrie Flames. And it's just like, I'm pretty sure I'm li- like, I feel like I'm in the Matrix or something. I don't know what's going on.
0: There's got to be some sort of correlation with, like, I don't know if it, you, what would it be, consumer spending when you make like a large purchase, put it on credit, and you bring it home <laughs> and you're just like so pumped. Yeah, big screen TV. But really, well, like that's what like, it's—you <laughs> can't actually afford it, and then, like, you know, eight months later, you're like, "Oh fuck."
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, you made that analogy right after because we were texting after free agency day one, and you were—that's what you said. It's like it's like a it's like a credit card purchase. It's like you don't really realize what you're doing until you get that bill, and you're like,
0: "Wait." Yeah. So I, I think, spent I I, I spent a thousand dollars on a PlayStation. What the hell was I thinking? Like with the amount of time that we sit back here and we analyze and we look at shit. Like, I don't know if, if the average Flames fan does that. I'm sure everyone listening does, but I don't know if the average Flames fan does that. And so they might just get caught up in the hype of like, yeah, something new. When not in actuality, looking at it from every single angle. I know like like you do this, you, you'll thoroughly dissect it from every possible angle and come from an analytical um, standpoint of like, this is either good or or not on the books. Who gives a fuck what it translates to on the ice, right? I think first and foremost, you're concerned about um, the cap as a whole and what that's going to look like moving forward. And then you try to see if the player is going to reciprocate whatever value or lack of value that that has on the books now and going forward. And that's how you really rationalize whether it was a good deal or not. Whereas I think most people yeah fuck new people exciting <laughs> that's it like that's
1: an exceptional way to put it and i mean like i think we'll kind of get into this chronologically but i mean i think the one thing that i always like get really annoyed about and especially now with like the chris Tanev thing is like okay the the economics of having somebody like chris tannov on your books like this is what this is what i'm this is what's really bugging me is like bratsch living hasn't learned from his mistakes chris Tanneff signed the exact same deal that troy brower signed what three years four years ago and we're still buying out like the thing that sh- the thing that seems to shock me is how short of memory people have people have it's like okay let's track this back to when bratsch living took over the team okay he signed mason raymond to uh to a it wasn't a big huge deal but he ended up having to buy mason raymond out and I was like well that was a mistake okay well it's first one we'll give him that one then he's there for a couple years. He- he picks up Mike Stone, he picks up Troy Brower, and everyone's like, I guess, I don't know, we'll see how these goes, we have to buy both of those guys out, we're still paying both of those guys on our books right now, and everyone was like, okay, well, you know, that's like his first major couple misses, it's okay, I mean, like, as soon as the ink was dry on the Brower buyout, he's out signing James Neal, and we're all excited, we're like, oh, sweet, I know he's old, but this one, this time, it's gonna work out, this one's gonna work out, doesn't work out, so it's like, well, I don't understand, like, and now we're like, oh, sweet, Chris Tenev, it's like, it's the same thing over and over and over again. And we're seeing this this thing where they, where they pay, where they invest in things that aren't gonna give you that ROI, the grit, the good in the room, the glue guy. It's like, Brad, you've done this before. You've done this like three or four times before. It's not something, like, hey, are you not ever gonna learn about this? And it's like that, again, that's where it gets annoying to me where I have to clarify so much to people. It's like, I have zero problem. Like like literally, zero problem with Chris Tanev as a hockey player. He he sucked last year. He wasn't good. But previous to that, he has been a pretty good NHL defenseman, defensive specialist defenseman. I have no issue if Brad Schliving wants to bring him onto the team. The issue is like you said, like you're putting you're putting an extreme an extreme limitation on what you can do now because you've allocated four and a half million dollars to this guy. That's the problem. That has been the problem with Brad Schliving in the past, and it's just like. That's where it gets insanely dicey and insanely frustrating. And I don't know, man, like this, I, I can't believe he did he did this again. <laughs> I really can't. I can't believe he's, he did this. Like it's the exact same deal as Troy Brower, like four and a half by four. It's the exact same deal. <laughs> and it's, an, it's incredible. And I mean like the other thing, and I know I'm going on a bit of a rant to start this thing off, but I just got to get this off my chest. The other thing that is just like mind blowing to me is that Look at all these deals that are being signed right now, like you know, like all these value contracts, all yeah. these one-year, two-year deals where guys are taking way less money. And it's like Bradshaw living felt inclined to go pay overpay on the mar- on the open market, which is like if it's the biggest financial crisis in league history, guys are taking the, sh- the short-term deals all over the place, and it's like we felt inclined to just lock lock a guy up for four and a half. It doesn't matter who it is. It could have been Tanev, anybody. Like if they had signed Eric Gustafson to a, five, a similar deal, I would have been like, what the hell are you doing? You're not getting market value. What's the deal? So I think well, that's what's that's what's mind-blowing to me is like this this vast overpayment. If it's in a normal offseason, it's like, wow, that's a pretty big investment on a guy who might not move the needle. But it, it, under this current circumstances where it's like everybody's taking less, Except for this contract, it's just so weird.
0: Well, and that's to me that's another question. Is like how did how did Chris Channing and how did he how did his negotiate his agent negotiate getting four and a half million to begin with? Like, what was he asking for going into free agency? What what did the free agency? Uh, sorry, what did his agent like? I guess he was probably one of the was he one of the first D men to sign a contract. He, I believe he. It was like
1: late on day one. It was like later in the day. I think I don't know. I was. It was like nine nine o'clock or something on Friday. I think he definitely. What I think Krug maybe signed before him, but he was definitely of, one of the first one off the board.
0: As far as I understand it, a lot of times um, the agent already has kind of a, a a number. You know, he's discussed with his player that says, "Look." Based on, you know, comparing you to the rest of the league, this is kind of what the ballpark you're looking to get here. And it just turns out that he gets more than, like you said, what he should have got.
1: Well, and again, like, the thing that, and I don't know why I have to keep explaining this to people. <laughs> I it, It's hard. You know what? It is hard to have like a nuanced conversation without people freaking out saying like, oh, you just hate everything Brad Schilling does. It's like, there's so many layers to this that I just don't understand. I think, again, that's the main one that I just don't understand. Why four years? Why four and a half million in this current climate? When you look, and I don't like, I know they wanted a right-hand shot defenseman from from what it sounds like. What they said on the fan this morning is that Chris Tanev had a deal with the Vancouver Canucks in place. Chris Tanev told Jim Benning that he was going to sleep on it and think about it, but then apparently the Flames swooped in and he signed that night. So obviously the Flames went in guns a-blazing and said, we'll give you four by four and a half, and that was a done deal. But I mean,
0: Then that makes more sense to me that if Brad Shuling goes to the agent and says, look, we really, really want this guy, and the agent says, well, he's already got a deal on the table that he's probably going to take and it, yeah. it was probably what it was probably around what 3 3.8 to 4 million you would guess like what do you think Ben I, I would
1: think so I would think maybe, so maybe I mean three, like maybe, they they're pretty tight they're tight up against it too so
0: maybe 3.5 like that, the Canucks they really value this guy I know the fan base love him yeah but even even Canucks well, fans when they, when they saw what what his contract is, what we're going to be paying him, they're like Jesus. We wouldn't, have, I wouldn't pay him that much. Not even their fan base. Well, I mean, even like the AAV
1: doesn't even bug me that much. Like it's not a big, it's not a big bump up from what he was making previously. I think he was making like four point four or something. But it's the term that's mind, but like if you want, if you did Chris Tanneh, four and a half, two years, okay. But I mean, when you compare it to what's on the market, because that—that's what I'm always looking for. With with that's what you want in free agency is to is to get value signings, right? That's generally what you want to do. You don't want to be paying over market value, which Brad hit thats what what has got this team into trouble in the past—is paying over market value in free agency again. Brower, Neal, uh, Mason Raymond, Michael Stone, like they like it's just they they keep they've been it's been what getting them in trouble. That's why we have that's why we're in a cap crunch right now, like. We're currently paying between Lucic, if you if you proxy that for Neal and Brower and Stone, like eight million bucks. Like that's not a great use of your money. So that's where they've gotten into trouble in the past, and that's where they're like that's what gives me pause here. Is like everyone's like, oh, wait and see how it plays out. It's like I've seen this play out before. Based on all the information we have, again, this is just more of the same from what the flame, how the flames have screwed up in the past, and it's just like I I don't I don't understand like. And everybody keeps saying, well, if they didn't give him that money, they're not gonna get the player. Well, I mean desperate times, dude. If if this is gonna cripple your organization, you probably like if you have to overpay a guy to get him, you shouldn't do it. It should be like a good rule of thumb, generally, I think. So yeah. I, I just I, I I don't know. I wouldn't understand I would understand this under normal circumstances. Like let's say it's last off season. And there's no COVID crisis, and the cap isn't completely flat. If the cap had gone up this year, and you want to do this, sure. But the fact that the cap is flat, they are right up against it in terms of dollars. Like you forget, you have to resign Mathieu Kachuk, not next year, but the year after that. And then with with the lack of money and everybody else signing all these deals, it's just I I'm I'm very confused about it. And I know everybody's like. Yeah, he's a right-hand shot. He, they need a defenseman. But, I mean, you overpaid, like, plain and simple. And, the like, it's just in the market that was set, when you see guys, and I'm not saying they're replacements, and I'm not not—I'm not saying you're going to get all these guys for equal value. But when you see, like, I mean, Justin Schultz signed for two years. Uh, Eric Gustafson signed for one year. Um, I mean, TJ Brody's deal was pretty friendly. Um, there's just, like... Yeah, Tyson – like, not that I would want Tyson Berry. Like, player for player, I'll I'll probably take Chris Tanev over Tyson Berry. But, I mean, there's no risk in what the Oilers gave Tyson Berry, a one-year deal under $4 million. There's huge risk in what the Flames gave Chris Tanev, and there's a very high likelihood they're going to have to buy him out and be in some cap trouble down the line. So it's yeah. just – it's so odd to me in the current circumstances, in the current climate, that they would be so flippant with that money.
0: Well, we've kind of discussed similar things in the past with regards to like being a general manager of a team, how important saving draft picks are. In the past, it, it, it seemed like Brad you Living is kind of more willy-nilly, just throwing out draft picks, right? Whether it's to sweeten a deal or to acquire guys late. And I think we've alluded to this and pointed to this before, where it seems like there is a tendency with Brad, and he, he hasn't done this so much so in the last year and a half. But prior to that, it was, you know, he was doing a little bit more, which is just kind of like just throwing away draft picks. Yeah. When it's, when it's not even necessary, when you look at similar deals across the league and value for value, you gave up more than you had to compared to what other teams are giving up. And there might be some, and we've seen this with general managers in the past too. You know, it's, it's, Maybe it's a tactic where they just feel like, well, whatever. It's just a draft pick, right? Whatever. It's just one second round or whatever. It's a fifth round or whatever. But all those things add up over time. And I think the argument you're making is like, is similarly, maybe he's doing the same thing as like, well, it's just one or two more extra years on a contract to make sure I get the guy right. It's not that big of a deal. And, and really, it might not be. But like you said, it could be something that sinks the ship. It is risky. Just like giving away too many prospects, um, giving away too many draft sorry draft picks um, over a certain period of time, it starts to add up. All the little things start to add up. And when you're, like you said, in the situation you're in right now with COVID, um, and when you overpay in this type of a situation, then it just increases your risk just that much more when you've are you're already strapped against the cap. You already have those past mistakes that are starting to pile up that you're still trying to get out from under. We're still paying out Brower. Still paying out stone, right? It's like, sure. If if you rewind the clock and this was kind of like his one first or third or second gaff, yeah. where it's just like exactly. okay, but now as we're, we're getting to the fifth and sixth now, where it's just like he continues to pile on to a pile that hasn't even disappeared yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, and see that's where I that's where some people I think are kind of misunderstanding what I what we've been saying, and people who've been critical of this is like. Again, like, exactly like you said, if this is Bradshaw Living's first swing at it, like if this is 2014 and he's signing a 31-year-old defenseman coming off his worst season in his career to a lengthy extension, then you're probably like, yeah, well, let's see how this plays out. But, I mean, when we've been down this road, like even compared to the Hamannick thing, like he gave up a 1-2-2 two, two for Travis Hamannick, who what was the scouting report on him? He's really good in the room, great teammate, going to block a shot, Really gonna bring all those intangibles. It's like okay, I mean you're you're paying a lot for it. Let's see how that plays out. It didn't really work out, and it's like okay, well now we have like another we have another situation where that's happening again, and we already have a very comparable example to compare it to where it didn't work out at all. So I mean, forgive me for being skeptical if I've like we've seen this play out before. So and then like again like I I don't I don't mind Chris Tenev at all. Like if you look at his numbers over the past 6 years like dude has been a legit defensive defenseman but he was not that last year he's never played a full season in the NHL he's incredibly injury prone he's 31 he's played a lot of tough minutes like i mean that is a that is a really risky contract to be giving a 31 year old who has played those hard of minutes who's have who's had that kind of injury history like would you give would you give Travis Hamnick that money And I like, I mean, Chris Tanev has been a far better defensive defenseman than Travis Hamanick, but I mean, a lot of the same issues, injuries, inconsistency, and then a a pretty, pretty steady decline last year, especially. So I don't know. I just don't get it. And then it's like, when you look at like, again, like these defensemen are going for nothing. Like Vancouver, they picked up Nate Schmidt for a third. New Jersey picked up Ryan. Ryan Murray was the former second overall pick. Like five, six, I think it was maybe seven years ago, actually. But, I mean, he's a very good defenseman. Fifth-round pick for that. Like, you can't tell me that paying Chris of that is, is good market value. That's all I'm saying, and I don't think it's smart business to be continually to do that. Like, it okay. isn't.
0: Well, to wrap this up before we move on to, like, just getting to the players themselves. yeah. Like you just said, it's not smart business, right? We always talk about this here all the time as a general manager – you got to manage your assets. You also have to manage your risk, right? So the thing is, is when you continuously take risks, right, and you're still waiting to see if the the previous ones you took or have paid off yet, or they haven't, right? We're still kind of in the in the luchich boat. I think we'll get into it. I want to ask you this, but I, I think all in all, we probably won the swap, but the fact that we fuck he fucked up with Neil in the first place is the problem. But yeah, the the fact that you keep piling on risk, right? You got to be able to, you got to manage your risk too. So, I think the point that you're making is, um, this was risky. After he's already taken so many risks that have he's struck, he's, he's met, he's struck out on, right? So, um, we'll see what happens. Let's get into the players.
1: Yeah, well, and then I'm, just one more thing is that I kind of want to just quickly dispel is like. I, again, I wouldn't even mind this if let let's say he'd address the other needs of the, the the more pressing needs in my opinion of the team first like say a top six forward and then you add Chris Tanev or like if TJ Brody is still on the team like the thing I keep hearing is like oh, he's not TJ Brody's replacement, he's Travis Hammondx replacement. I mean I don't buy that argument because if you're gonna play that game, Rasmus Anderson is TJ Brody's replacement. So, Chris Tanev is Rasmus Anderson's replacement. And I mean, do we remember how poor the second pairing looked before Rasmus Anderson came in there and solidified it? Like it wasn't good. Rasmus Anderson made that second pairing a whole lot better. So, I think to say that oh dude, he's just he's not Brody's replacement. He's Hamilton's replacement. Well, he's really technically cuz he's probably going to play on the second pairing with Noah Hanifin. He's probably Anderson's replacement, and I don't think he's an adequate replacement for Rasmus Anderson. At the end of the day, you lost a top pairing defenseman and didn't adequately—you
0: didn't adequately replace him. I guess it—it it will all de- the direction this goes is how much we rely on Chris Tav and how much he can, um, you know, fulfill whatever that how much we're relying on, him on is, but. We'll see how Yusuf Almaghi shows up next year. Well, I be, because yeah, if, if, so, if he's not if he's not outstanding top four number crunching, you know, he can play top minutes and if, do it effectively. Then I think this Chris Tana thing might go downhill. Well, and
1: that's the other thing too that I I just can't help but feel that this is this is what the team is gonna be. Because, like, Bradshaw Living didn't feel comfortable, apparently, with Oliver Shillington on his bottom pairing heading into the playoffs and went out and picked up Derek Forbord and Eric Gustafson. Like, I, I just can't, like, that that, that is some, re- that's really precarious. If your D next year is Gio and Anderson, like, what if Gio takes a step back? Like, he's going to at some point. We kind of saw a little bit. Yeah, like, we kind of saw is it in gonna, the playoffs. Is he
0: going to be worse than he was this year?
1: Right? I so, mean, like, I,
0: yeah, I mean he was awful in the playoffs, but go ahead.
1: so like factor in regression for like imagine these three things happen: Mark Giordano regresses, Chris Tanev gets hurt because he's injury prone, um, Yusuf Alamaki and Oliver Shillington can't handle the can't aren't excellent because they're gonna have to be, so like it's just it's super precarious right now that defense. So like I can't imagine that Brad living is done with the D. Like I like I mean he said. What when he was asked what's your top priority? Goaltending and defense. I mean, he literally left left half the decor walk, including your top pairing guy for the last five years. So yeah. I, I have a hard time I have a hard time believing that on opening night we're gonna be rolling out Geo, Anderson, Hannafin, Tanev, Valimaki, Shillington. Like that seems pretty sketchy to me, so
0: Yeah. Last podcast we ripped into him because you know, he was saying goaltending and defense were his top priority. We didn't know he was going to let four of his free agent defensemen walk and arguably his best defensemen. Just let him go.
1: Defense is my top priority. Let's four. Let's half the defense core walk. It's like, what? I don't get that. And that's that's the other thing, too. That's
0: why it was a priority. He must have known that that was the game plan going. He wasn't going to sign any of these guys. And losing to make no mistake. He can... He can play it up as much as he wants, dude, about Brody. Yeah, yeah exactly. On. He's That's talking to his ass next. once once yeah. again. There's no it's way bullshit. he wanted to keep Brody. If he wanted Brody,
1: Brody would have been there. Bingo, exactly. And like I was gonna bring that back even further. Like, I'm just I'm been really in like, you know why I think our little podcast here has become so popular? It's because because people don't have you go on the on Fan960, you go to other places, and they don't address these things. Like like they, they just go to bat for Brad She Living time and time again. And it's like I didn't even like what he said about Mark Jankowski. Like I, no. I wasn't a fan of that. Like he did like he literally said when Mark Jankowski wasn't qualified, the first thing Bradshew Living said was, Mark wanted a change of scenery. Like, dude, come on. Like own own, own it. Say, you know what? we we wanted to go our separate ways. We both decided. Like, come yeah. on! Like, for how shit. weak is that? And
0: Everybody then the same thing knows. with, T-
1: yeah. And it's like the same thing with TJ Brody. It's like both of those guys were publicly traded before Nazem Kadri nixed the trade last year. Everybody knows Brad Living <laughs> deemed them expendable from the team. And then I mean TJ Brody, who is a fan favorite, one of my favorite players to watch. I was really bummed to see him go. Um, he's been here for nine years. He's a draft pick of the team. Like you, you, see him go, and your your response is, "Oh, well, we told him." It's his response is pretty much, "Oh, we ran out of time, and he accepted another offer." It's like, come on, Brad, come on! You literally had six months to negotiate a contract with this guy. If you want, and I I do think TJ didn't want to be in Calgary at the end of the day, so I'm not gonna rip on him too hard for not signing Brody because I think I think when all is said and done, I think Brody did want to move on.
0: Well, I think Brody liked Calgary and he liked his team. He just didn't like the organization and the way he got treated. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, so that's where I'm it's really annoying. Like that
1: really bugs me for a guy who's been one of your best defensemen for the past one of your best defensemen for the past nine years with the organization for so long, been an absolutely great player, been one of the absolute like without a doubt, best homegrown players. And that's your response when he he leaves is that Oh, yeah, we ran out of time, and he would already taken another offer. It's like, come on, like, I would, I would, not that I'm trying to be, like, <laughs> Mr., like, sentimental and stuff, but it would have been, no- like, come on, Brad. You can do better than that for a guy like TJ Brody. You can say, you know what, we both just, like, there's no way in hell Brad C. Living wanted TJ Brody back. If he wanted TJ Brody back, he would have been back. End of story. I think it was mutual, and I wish Brad C. Living would just speak up and maybe be a little more truthful when he's talking about stuff like that. That Both of those things really bugged me, and they're just minor things that only a weird person like me and you would maybe get on. But that that really did bug me a lot, that, he's, that he kind of, he didn't throw them under the bus. But I just wish he'd, you know, like man up, dude. Come on. No shit. Be be better than that. Anyways, and make no mistake, losing TJ Brody is a is is a big problem for this team.
0: Fuck. Okay. So also, last podcast we've been harping on Brad to do something for two years now. (laughs) Um, he did quite a bit. He let players go. He brought in new players. Maybe not exactly what we had in mind. I think, obviously, from our synopsis, you needed a top six guy, especially help with that top line. I mean, but that's not going to happen. So, what we're left with is we upgrade our goaltending. I mean, I think we said this last podcast. I don't, neither one of us thinks that goaltending was the issue last year, right? We didn't score enough goals yeah. and we couldn't keep the. We couldn't keep the other team from entering our own zone. Well, again, like, and I'm, I'm kind of starting
1: to craft a theory on this because, like, okay, one thing, I, okay, I'll just get the Markstrom stuff out of the way. I don't mind the contract. I think it's two years too long. And if you know anything about how, my philosophy on hockey, I'm not a big fan of paying goaltenders big money. And the way Bradshaw Living has handled the net minding in his seven, has he been here seven years, six years, six and a half years, has actually been totally okay with me. I've been fine rolling the cheap tandems. I understand the desire to have a true number one starter, whatever, I think Jacob Barksham's a good goalie. I don't like giving him $36 million over six years. I think that's too much. I think he is an upgrade, but the thing that I, like you were getting at, the opportunity cost of paying him $6 million a year over the next six years is that you can't give that to a forward who you desperately need. Like, it's just... That's where I'm kind of like... Okay, like, we didn't... Like, sure, we probably needed a better goalie, but it's just like that money could have gone... I think that money could have gone farther elsewhere, personally. I mean, again, like we said this last time, if you look at the last two playoff years, like, what has been the one thing that's been great is the goaltending, which is like, okay, I mean... Mike Smith was lights out against the Avs, Cam Talbot was very good, the goalie market was a little expensive, like, I thought, I I personally wouldn't have signed Talbot to that, the deal that the Wild gave him, like, he got 11 million over three years, I thought that was a bit much, so I was fine letting Talbot go, but, I I don't know, I just think that Markstrom contract is a bit much, and, like, I don't know, man, like, I I just, I don't know what he's going to do with this forward group now. That's what's, that's where it gets, and I mean, I think I know what he's doing. I think, because what is the one position, it's like getting a, it's like getting one of the best pitchers in in baseball. What's the one position in hockey that can cover up a lot of your team flaws? Like, I think that's what he's kind of going for. He probably, he obviously saw what Markstrom did for the Canucks, got them to the second round. And was like, well, if I can address, if I can cover up a lot of warts on my team with one signing, maybe I'll do that instead, right? Well,
0: I I think Uh, if if I was to guess at how it all played out for Bradtree living, getting Markstrom, I would imagine he he knew what the Talbot camp was coming in asking for. I'm sure that they would have had some talks. And he probably figured that if he was going to have to pay what what Talbot was wanting, what did he end up getting? 4-3?
1: Yeah, he got like, it was a little different. I think it was like four mil, four mil, three mil. It was 11 million over four year or over three years. But I think the first two were four million dollars. And then last year, that
0: was three million dollars. So if he figured that he was going to have to, to pay more, anyways. And here's the other thing that we've heard, you know, a lot in the past two weeks is like the amount of goaltenders that became available this season is the perfect opportunity to go out and get one of them. And yeah, he got the best goaltender available.
1: He did. I, and again, like I, I, have zero. I don't have much of a problem with it. It's more of a okay, this, Again, getting back to the risk thing, like this is this is gonna be a this is gonna be a risky contract because a goaltending is unpredictable. Like you can't relying on your goaltending year to year is is difficult with for any for any team <clears throat> because just like goalies are so up and down but then like paying a guy who's turning 31 in January 6 million dollars a year for the next 6 years like that's all i'm saying is like it's risky like it might pay off it might not it's risky it's a, it's a it's a hopefully it's a calculated risk yeah and like i said like i think cuz again like i was wondering i was like okay well why has he why has he been so because I think Kent Wilson said this: "Like you would asked me what the Flames were going to do this off season, I wouldn't have guessed they'd sign a big, big goalie and let half their D walk. You know, like I would have guessed they probably would be looking for help up front. Because if you look at what Brad Schluicing done in the past, he's always been rolling with the cheap tandems, whether it's Hiller and was it Hiller and uh, Kerry Ramo, and then Brian Elliott and Chad Johnson, and then uh, David Riddick and Mike Smith, and then David Riddick and Cam Talbot. So like." obviously he was a bit of a believer in that philosophy and something somewhere along the line changed maybe that's just because those guys haven't been excellent all the time I don't know but i I kind of I have a sneaking suspicion that he was like okay hey, what can I do with one signing that covers up a lot of my team's issues maybe that can be a goaltender who was really good for the Canucks the last two seasons
0: I don't know yep I guess when you're when you're managing your own risk and trying to calculate whether it's a good one to take or not you have to also look at Everybody's in their own nuanced you know, position of where their own team is at roster-wise and salary cap-wise, right? It's not just like one size fits all all the time. You kind of have to look at you know, who's expiring, what makes the most sense, You know, if we can lock this guy up. Because you're going to have issues in, what, two years and then three years when Johnny, Monty, and Kachuk are all up for new contracts. Um, the team might look a lot different, and maybe this is one stable thing he wanted to keep. I don't know, but... Regardless, we got the best goaltender available. I think the, the question, um, the only real question around it is, he is thirty, right? As he, there is historically a pro, uh, digression in in goaltending as the age goes, you know, into thirty two, thirty. But sometimes, yeah. sometimes people, you know, they they like what? What did you post? It was Luongo. Um, yeah, like Luongo, Pekarene,
1: and I think Marc Andre Fleury have kind of been ones who have kind of bucked the trend of like they've had some really good seasons over the age of thirty two. Yeah, I think
0: what 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 you know, I look at Markstrom where he could be that guy is that he's really what well, he's been a he's been a in a backup role mostly until like what two three years ago. It was really kind of like last season, really I think that he kind of broke out. And, and he was a bona fide number one starter. And then this year, like you said, he took their team to the playoffs um, into the second round. He was lights out. So maybe he hasn't had, you know, as much of a workload in his career as other guys where they start to taper off. Tree Living seems to think he's in the prime of his career now. So even if you get four really good years from him, and then he's still a good backup, you know, in years five and six, if he's still on your team, if you still have to keep him on your team, then you're, it's probably a good signing.
1: Well, again, like I, I, I would have way less issue with this if there wasn't already so many, if there wasn't a bunch of bad deals on the team, right? Like if me, you didn't have Lucic on the books at five to five, if you didn't have like Tanev now at four and a half, if you didn't have the buyouts of Brouwer, if you like, you know, like if. If they had some nice, clean books, mistake-free, and signed Jacob Markstrom to a $6 million AAV for six years, I'd probably be a lot more open to it. But then it's just, you know, like it's just everything's so tight, you can't, you can't afford, like they can't afford. Like if Jacob Markstrom doesn't live up to that $6 million a year, that's a big problem because everything is so, the margins are so thin right now between winning and losing and the Flames books are so tight that it's like if you're even spending a million dollars of if you even allocate a million or half a million dollars that that is not giving you return on investment it's gonna not it's gonna be a problem right like i mean i in a a vacuum i have no issue paying a a number one goalie six million dollars a year but just with the current cap situation it just it's a it's a little risky right and it's like yeah i don't know like when matthew kachuks up and demanding a lot of money are you going to be like, oh, man, I wish we didn't have $6 million and a no-movement clause tied up in our goalie, you know, and 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 $4.5 tied up in Chris Tanev and a no-trade clause. So that's just – I'm always thinking about the future, and I think think a lot of fans are too, and that's where it gets – when there's so much bad money elsewhere, it's just like, man, they're really stretching themselves thin right now.
0: Yeah. But in in
1: all honesty, like – go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, if you look on the flip side – and you and you ask like, how is Colorado still able to add guys like Saw to their roster? It's because they have the cleanest uh, salary cap management in the league, and they do, they do they continue they still have what the, how much space do they still have? You look at their roster. The Avalanche <laughs> the
1: Avalanche still have seven million dollars in space still.
0: <laughs> and that's the thing is like you don't see Joe Sakic going out there and blowing that wad. Yeah. He just continues to to find. Those little diamonds in the rough, right? And he he takes. I don't think he's even taken much risk at all, dude. Like, when was the last time he did something risky?
1: Well, and again, that's where it's like where people say, "Oh, you're making too big of a deal out of like four and a half million for Tano." But it's like you said, these little things start to add up. And if you again, if you look at a if you look at a good example of the avalanche, like I mean, there's there's no mistakes. Like there's very little there's the, on the Avalanche. They're an insanely great example. If you look at somewhere like Vegas, like they're a little bit more tied up against it. But I mean, on these top teams that are able to add big time players, there's just there's less dead money than the Flames have currently. So that's why you that's why you get a little bit like hesitant when you hear that you've made these big time signings and you've allocated you've added what. Ten and a half million dollars to your books in one day. It's just like, oh man, like I don't know. It's just it concerns me a little bit. That's all.
0: Well, think of so, it this way too. It's like, what is what is the cap right now? It's eight eighty. I think it's like eighty one or something. It's like eighty one million dollars. Like think of it in dollars, right? Because I mean, yeah. you're you're at what you're below your replacement player. Say you take a replacement defenseman, it's about a million bucks, right? It's maybe a little bit less. But if you're looking at you have 80 bucks to spend, like you go out, say you go out for the night, you have 80 bucks to spend, right? So you overspend five bucks here at some place, you know, you overspend three bucks here at some place, like that shit adds up fast. Mm Mm-hmm. So, if you're exactly, like, if it's like when you like, go to
1: Costco and you have like five items in your car, and it's like, why is that 250 bucks? What the hell?
0: Like, eight, 80 million for, for, you know, 23 man roster is not a lot of money. So, that's really? why you have to, you have to be so careful. I mean, he's really great at RFA signings. That's, that's the one. <laughs> That's the one thing where he seems to have it nailed down. Where he has just, never really overspent at all. If anything, he makes up for his shortcomings in the UFA pool. But
1: well, just, some it's like if they just threw his goddamn phone away on UF. Even after the Markstrom deal was done, I was like, get Brad's phone and tell him to go home. We would have been fine. It's like, how is this team in cap trouble when you have deals like Gaudreau under seven million? I mean, you have Lindholm under five million. You have. Uh, Uh, Mark Giordano has been under 7 million forever even your defense like Hannafin and Anderson are 5 million it's like how are they in trouble it's like this is how because Brad Schleffing makes mistakes on free agent and usually on July 1 today this week on July October whatever it was it's just like that's where the mistakes have been made and that's how this team has gotten into trouble (laughs) in the past so
0: as well as throwing in too many draft picks all around the two things we we covered there
1: so it's just like I don't know. The thing thing that I'm... I don't know where they're going next because people still think they're going to be able to add. Like, there's no additions coming. You have to... Andrew Mangiapane's arbitration date is October 20th. I don't imagine they're going to let it get to ARB because that would be super risky because if the arbitrator awards something that, you know... Like, somebody should offer sheet Mangiapane is what they should have done. But if you know anything about arbitration, like, usually it favors the player... So I don't see the Flames letting that get to Arb. So they have to sign He Shillington, Glenn Gordon, and I think Tyler Parsons. And they only have five point seven million dollars to do that. So like even if you estimate on the low end, like that Manji Pandy gets like two and a half million and then like Shillington, if he gets League minimum and then league minimum for a few other guys, you're going to have like maybe half, maybe if you're lucky, half a million in space. So if there's another addition coming, somebody's moving out. So I don't know, like there's there's really not very many options. Like you could try to, people have been saying buy out Derek Ryan. I don't think there's a buyout coming. I think the owners would kill Bradshaw Living before they let him buy out another player. So there's really only a few players you could possibly move out. Derek Ryan is one of them. He makes 3.125. I'm not a huge fan of that because I think he is one of your best. He's the best bottom six player there is as far as I'm concerned. Like, Dubé has more upside, but, I mean, Derek Ryan is a valuable asset in your bottom six. And then, like, I guess, like, Sam Bennett maybe because you're not moving. Nobody's taking Lucic. You're not moving Backlund. Unless there's a big Gaudreau or Monahan deal... I don't. There's no additions coming unless you can move out Derek Ryan and Sam Bennett together. Like this is the team it seems, yeah, which I have a hard time believing though.
0: And Sam Bennett's at 2.5 mil, so like yeah. what are you what are you getting in the market for 2.5 mil? I mean, you so you I, get I'm that? not You're sure. Gonna, you could probably bring in Hoffman for three. Use that extra three like for a three million on a one year deal. Or James like Neal that, 2.0. But, so I agree. Um, I don't know unless. Unless there's a shakeup, which you probably would have seen it happen by now, then this is pretty much the team we're going to be rolling into the next season with.
1: Like, and I can't believe that again. Maybe something happens, but it just seems really odd to me that conceivably they could roll into January one regular season with the same forward group that has so that has so desperately needed help and has so sorely disappointed over the last two seasons, right? Like but boy i that, i i don't know i i think i but, i don't know what's gonna happen you can't trade noah Hannifin now like no way i know we were saying that he's your best trade chip. you cannot be trading noah Hannifin now can well, you? you just
0: you just let four of your d corps walk and you brought no way in, so, so you're still you're down three than what you had that means you're gonna see more mark stone than we ever have or sorry, I always call him Mark Stone wishful thinking. Mike Stone. <laughs> you're you're gonna see, you're gonna see more of Mike Stone, or is he on the team still? Yeah, there he is. He's one UFA, more, but what?
1: I mean, he's still on the. We're still paying him for uh, for his buyout. So.
0: Okay, so he's oh he's up then eh oh yeah buyout yeah
1: he's he's one point one six against cap on his buyout. That, I can't imagine gonna... they bring him back.
0: Is that's going to be the final move that True Living makes, eh? Before the Michael Stone again? Yeah, We're going to re-sign him again, a third yeah. time.
1: Uh, like I, if he signs Michael Stone, so I don't know. Everybody still seems to think they're going to be at my. Like I think, like I'm, I would be. I'm having some cognitive dissonance here because I would be shocked if this is the team that they roll into the season with. But I also don't know how they're going to be able to make it work. Like, again, I guess you could move Derek Ryan for nothing and sign somebody like Dadnov. I don't even know who's left anymore who would be effective. But, man, see, that it's just like that that money goes away real fast when you spend it on guys like Chris Tanev, right? So,
0: yeah, well, man, big, I, I don't the, know. The big but I was going to throw out there is, is our forward group better or worse – than it was under Bill Peters in the first season, regular season.
1: I think it's still worse <laughs> because that fourth line you lost Jankowski. Um, I like the fourth line right now would be Ronaldo. Would be I guess it'd be if you pencil a non-NHLer like Glenn Godden in there, it would be Derek Ryan. I think Glenn Godden, Zach Ronaldo, or Buddy Robinson. Like, does that sound like a NHL fourth line to you? Well, I can't see Zach Ronaldo getting meaningful minutes this year, but who knows? Yeah. Like, your right. bottom four forwards are Ronaldo, Buddy Robinson, Derek Ryan, and take your pick of, like, Glenn, probably Glenn Godden, I guess. Like, maybe Matt Phillips could make it out of camp or something, but that's pretty. What happens when somebody gets hurt? Like, that's always my question, because guys are going to get hurt. You're going to need depth. And it's like, if that's your depth, that's. If Zach Ronaldo is your. 12th 13th forward I think you're in a bit of trouble right so I don't think it is better and I do think some way or another there is going to be an addition up front I, I don't know how I worry how it makes me really nervous how but then the other thing is too is like that's what we were expecting all last off season. remember we waited we waited it was like hey what Brad Tree Living's playing 4D chess here and he's going to reveal his grand move and it was like he never did anything. so yep. then there's that factor too so I have no clue dude
0: so, if the forward group is worse than um, the regular season under Bill Peters, then it's not by much because you got to think Johnny, Monty, Lindholm. I don't necessarily buy into that they've regressed so much so that the system changed to not suit them anymore. Yeah. Um, I think the second line, Mangiapani on there, is an upgrade on for leak. Matthew Kachuk's. Oh yeah, He's, for sure. Matthew Kachuk is better quite by quite a bit than he was in that first season with Bill yeah. Peters. Yeah, no, I that's think. a fair point. Um, a fair I think point. your third line with the the way we saw them execute in playoffs. Now the regular season is a whole different story. But if they can translate, if they can figure out a way, and I don't know how the how they do it. I mean, people on Twitter were up in arms like, why can't Sam Bennett play like this throughout the regular season? It's because like it's physically and mentally not possible. But how can he still be effective throughout the reg- regular 82 season you know, games, the regular season, is the question. But that third line was our best line in the playoffs. If they can figure out a way to translate that into regular season success, your third line, sh- arguably, I guess, could go either way. But it could be better than the jankowski Neil bennett line we saw under Peter's.
1: Yeah, and Dubey, but again, like the thing I keep coming back to is that's a lot of That's a it's a lot of like ifs, right? It's like if well, Sam Bennett can finally break out, if Dylan Dubey. That's just my thing. Is like and, okay, and that's and the, and and the biggest you're bet, butt. You're of all, betting on a lot of
0: stuff, and the biggest butt of all is it would all be hinging on does Jeff Ward actually give these guys a system that suit their skill? Because yeah. I really don't think that's going to happen. So. But my whole point was like I don't think necessarily the Ford group is much worse than it has been in the past. It's probably just as good. Maybe in some areas it's differing, um, but it's maybe slightly worse. But it's not a whole lot worse. But well, the reason I, I why do... the reason why it stinks so bad is because we're playing a stationary. There is no rush game anymore. Our rush game is yeah. has been replaced with. God knows what you even call that. But well, and then... It's, y- it's stationary Add breakouts. into the fact
1: that you've... Yeah, add, add into the fact that you've lost one of your the best puck-moving defensemen in the NHL, in TJ Brody. That's not going to yeah. help.
0: Yeah. So, Although, Valim- Valimaki is pretty good, though. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah,
1: him. and like...
0: But I I honestly... Again, like, any, I, way, any way you slice it, I don't really have a lot of faith be- in because I know the... the the systems that uh, Jeff Ward is gonna execute, and I don't see this team having you know great success within that, those systems.
1: Yeah, again, like the, the reason they were so good under Bill Peters that first year is because the the Gaudreau Monahan line were let loose to do what they do best. That's pretty much the summation of it. Because, I mean, the 3M line was still pretty good, but you pretty much got nothing from that third line with James Neal and Jankowski on it, right? Like, the fourth line, you had a pretty good fourth line that year in Ryan, Mangipani and Hathaway, but you can't credit on a historic season that. The reason they were so good is because that top line was let loose and ripped up the league. Like, that's pretty much why they were so good that year. So you got to let Ooh. them do their thing.
0: You know what's interesting? I don't really know. I'd have to go back and watch, but... Remember the, the Goudreau line started their kind of descent at, right after the All-Star game with Bill Peters? Yeah,
1: like in February, Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then it just, you know, playoffs, no good, and whatever. I'd have to go back and watch, but I remember Bill Peters even, you know, saying before going into the All-Star break, he's like, yeah, when we come out, we have to be prepared. This is when teams starting to tighten up all around the league, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if he started to tweak their, their system then.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because they had a pretty like their their point totals and their play tailed off pretty markedly after that All Star break, and then never really has recovered until like yeah.
0: I wonder so, if he started focusing on air quote unquote team defense as well, meaning let's let's stop being such a hardcore rush team and make sure we have more responsibility. But
1: well, you saw what happened when they tried to be an offensive team. You know, they were they were they were awesome. So yeah,
0: they were a juggernaut. That? So we don't want to. Yeah. We wouldn't want that to happen again. And man, geez, like I just, oh, I can't help but think.
1: That's what I, that's what's frustrating to me is like when you think like, man, if they could have just added Taylor Hall for one year on this team, like, and made a run at it, like, oh, oh man, I, I just really think another top line and I know you do too. Another top six forward would do absolute wonders for this team.
0: I do. Um, although even now I'm still he- I am hesitant now, if yeah. that would even help with this current coaching su- uh, system. Yeah, that's, that's true.
1: You always, I keep forgetting about the coaching.
0: So, so I don't know. I don't, that, I don't that know.
1: That was I... a, it's been a rough couple days. Like honestly, if you wanted to create a a worst day ever for an analytics person like myself, you would have done it. Like what was it, October eighth or what the hell was it, the tenth? It was Thursday, Friday or whatever. The ninth. Like, okay, you pay a go a thirty year old goalie thirty six million dollars, you let one of the most analytical darling defensemen in the in the whole NHL go to another team. You sign one of the worst analytical defensemen last year to a huge contract. Like that was like a day from hell for me. <laughs> it's the worst.
0: Yeah, oh, you're man. you're losing it. So what I was do you having think- a hard time. What do you think? um, We talked about this a bit, you and me, with D pairings. Yeah. Because, I mean, that whole back end is going to look a whole lot different now. Yeah. Um, I know that people are assuming that Tanov and Hanifin will be paired together in the second unit, which means Rasmus Anderson and Brody, or uh, sorry, Rasmus Anderson and Geo will be the first unit. I think you alluded to. Ta- Hanifin and Tanev scares you just because of what we saw from Hannafin and Hannifin. They were so bad together. That could just be 2.0. Um, so, I don't know. I think you and I were, were both throwing this out there yesterday. Maybe you start with Gio and, and Tanev to try and shelter any kind of defensive liability that he might have. Although, I like that one stat that you posted. He's third in the right. league in in um, D zone battles mm-hmm. one.
1: Yeah, so it so seems there, like there are still some pro- proprietary statistics that are out there that show like again like I want to be clear like Chris Tanev, for a lot of years was an absolute beast in the defensive zone like possession wise an absolute mo- he'll he'll never he's always never done anything offensively but like three four years ago that's a guy I'd want on my team every day of the week but it's just he was really bad the last last year specifically so.
0: Yeah, I wonder why. Like, either it's age and it's a uh, degression, which then it's like, fuck, look out. No. Uh, like, well, and troubling. he's really
1: injury prone too, right? Yeah, and he probably is because he battles so hard, right? Well, yeah, and he's never played a full season in his career. But to get back to the pairings, like, I do, like, I don't know, I'm kind of curious. So he played, he played most of his business last year with Quinn Hughes, and he really dragged Quinn Hughes down a lot, actually. But I am curious because. Like you said, like the the Hamanek and Hannafin pairing worked so poorly. And I think, I, obviously, Hamanek was falsely heralded as a defense-first defenseman. That's not what he was at all, even though that's what we were told. Tanev is that. He didn't do it very good last year. In fact, he was terrible at it. But years previous, he has been a very good defensive impact defenseman. So that pairing might work better than Hannafin and Hamanek. But... You look at how well Rastas Anderson and Noah Hannafin played together and how how their games complemented each other so well, it just kind of is like, well, okay, you finally got Noah Hannafin in a spot where he's succeeding a bit. Why do you want to break that up? So the thought, the conversation yeah. we kind of had was like, what if you started deploying and I know this starts to scare people because Hannifin is rough in his own zone, but I mean, if he's ever gonna be a legit top four defenseman, dude's gonna have to learn to play in his own zone, right? It's like maybe now's the time to start treating Noah Hannafin, Rastus Anderson as your as your top pairing. Throw them out. Like I, I know people are like, well, now you can throw out Anderson and, and uh, Anderson and Geo or whatever, or you can you can shelter those guys. But it's like, what if you tried the opposite? What if you threw out Anderson and Hannafin in some tough spots just to see if they could handle it, see if they could be your one pairing, and then use Geo and Tanev as like your defensive shutdown pairing see how that works because that might be that might work best for everybody actually i don't know
0: Yep. again the the interesting thing is going to see how well valamaki does i when he yeah. came up and played in that colorado series i was i was floored with how well yeah. he jumped in and kept pace i mean he's not as good as mccarr but man he just the way mccarr came in and had an instant impact so did Valimaki. I was super. Impressed. I had. I have
1: no worry, and you know, like I have no worries about Valimaki. And you know, I'm a big Oliver Shillington guy for sure. So, yeah. like, it's just if if somebody gets hurt, is like that's like what if Rastus Anderson or Giordano gets hurt? What if both of them get hurt? That's when you're in big time trouble. So, like, I I, I think Valimaki is legit. I think Oliver Shillington will be just fine. So I don't have a problem with that. It's just when you get into the depth, it's like, and when you lose a guy like Birdie, who's so good, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope they I I'm curious to see how they roll to D, but I, I personally would be I would be rem, I would be hesitant to split up Noah Hanniff and Rasmus Anderson off the bat personally.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean the other the other interesting thing too would be what about Tanev and Gio? Tanev and Gio,
1: yeah. Oh, I sorry. think that might work. Sorry, I think that might we work saying. really well. That's what we yeah. we're
0: saying. Sorry. What about Tanev and Anderson?
1: Yeah, I would say that, but only be the only reason I would say no is because that they've made they've had such a big deal about how the fact that he shoots right and they don't have any right shot defensemen and they want to play the right side, right. So they they seem to be really obsessed yeah. with that. And I mean, in yeah. some cases, like for the most part, that is ideal. But I don't know. I'm not as stringent on that as as they are, obviously. But I I just yeah. think you have if Tanef, yeah. I just think you've got Rasmus Anderson playing so well with Noah Hannifin, like. And again, like I said, like I know everyone's scared about Noah Hannafin's defensive game. You know that I have crushed this guy for his defensive game. But if he's going to be a top four player on this team, on the back end, if he is what he's supposed to be, which is a top four defenseman in this league, like at some point he's going to have to start playing those minutes, right? Because what happens yeah. in two years when Mark Giordano retires? Like You can't shelter this guy forever. Let's see what you got, Noah Hannafin.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, the other... As far as... You know, injuries on the back end go. The other things we saw Brad do here in the offseason uh, acquire Connor Mackey. Apparently, supposed to be good. He's 24, um, coming out of, where was it, college somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, and he's never, I and again, like, I'm a big believer in playing the young guys. But, I mean, he's never, has he even played in any, he's never even played in an NHL game. So, no, we should maybe, yeah. like, pump the brakes on, oh, Mackey's is going to be awesome. Like, he's never played in the NHL, yep. not even one second, so... And then he, I would just and then be, like, a little careful.
0: And then he also acquired uh, Petrovic. Petrovic. Yeah, Alex played, Petrovic. He's played eight fu- to ten fine. seasons in the NHL. He hasn't, he hasn't played a shitload of games, but he just came from Florida. Didn't he play with the Oilers at one point? He played with the Oilers last, last season, nine games. Yeah, he he's, like, he's older. Yeah, he's, he's 28.
1: 28. <laughs> I just imagine tree living, like... Wait, it's not Alex Petrangelo we signed. Oh, damn it!
0: <laughs> so was we'll probably see both those guys this year at some point. I'd imagine just how knowing how you know injuries go on the back end, uh, especially with Geo and and Tanev, I don't see those guys playing eighty-two games like they're just yeah, the style. Key like, and those guys play is so hard that <laughs> they're probably to get dinged up.
1: And again, like I, I think Chris Tanneval he's gonna be fine. It's just don't pay him four and a half million dollars over four years in a market like this. That's that's all I'll say about that. I mean he seems like a nice guy. So
0: Okay, um why don't we wrap it up with a few questions I got unless you got some more stuff you want to add.
1: That's it, man. I got it all out and I did it with only cursing once, so I'm pretty proud of myself.
0: Dude, you kept it pretty <laughs> I'm impressed.
1: I got it's, it all out over the week, so I guess
0: it's smart to wait. You know, let yeah. yourself decompress a few days. I know well, I told
1: is. you last we were gonna do it last night, and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I'll, I'll be way too mad. <laughs> I'll lose it. So, that was a good call.
0: So, first question: How would you rank Brad Seasons off Brad Tree Living's off season or his free agent signing? Let's call it. Draft aside, we'll, we'll do a draft podcast here in the, in the next little bit, but just a free agency. How would you uh, rate, grade his free agency signings here?
1: I have to grade it relative to what everyone else is doing. It's it's a, it's a a C- because I liked the marks from signing, but I thought it was too long. But that TANF deal, like, it's just like C- for me with how I'm feeling internally and how I've been losing my mind this week is probably generous. But the fact that they did get the best goalie in free agency, um, I'll give him I'll give him a C minus. I'm feeling pretty generous today. It's no, just that I'll Tanev get- deal four years on is not acceptable in my books.
0: So. Now, if he had just signed Markstrom, what would his grade be?
1: If he had just signed Markstrom, he's probably getting a B plus. Because Actually, you know what? The factoring the fact that he let Brody go, it's it's got to be a D. But if he had just done Markstrom and not signed Tana, probably a B.
0: Okay. I forgot about yeah, the I Brody would, thing for a sec. I would say based on his signings and who he let walk, I'll give him a, a C. And yeah. and we preface this you know, at the beginning of the podcast with given all the mistakes he's made in the past— if he had made none of those, and this was kind of his first questionable moves, yeah, exactly, high, he'd have a higher grade. But we have to, we have to look at all the angles here, and it's like the fact that he hasn't learned from his past mistakes uh, that factors into it. Yeah, yeah, Second you got to take a broader view of it. Second question: Is this team better or worse than we were last year?
1: I think you're worse because, like, again, like I don't care. How you? I don't care if you say Tanev's not Brody's replacement; he's Hamannix's replacement. You didn't adequately replace, like, because what have the big changes be? You you, you lost T.J. Brody. I, I think the addition of Markstrom doesn't make up for the loss of somebody as important to your team as Brody, and maybe they go and address that in other ways. But
0: I I Re- think remember I, remember though this was a team that finished what was it seventh? Yeah, in the West. It's not I, like we were good, still, that good this year. We had a terrible season.
1: I don't think they're better today than I don't think they're better today as they were at the end of the reg at the end of the regular season or at the beginning of last regular season. I think on paper they're not they're worse. On paper, you've lost TJ Brody. I mean, say what you will about Mark Jankowski; he's still a fine, pretty good fourth line center. I mean, those are two. Brody is a big loss. Make no mistake. So I I I don't think the addition of Markstrom makes up for the loss of Brody personally. So I. I I would say they're not as good.
0: Okay. I'm going to – this is like a threefold answer for me. <laughs> I think the team as a whole will be better next season than they were this season because they fucking sucked this season.
1: I hope so because that was painful.
0: They were awful. However, I feel like free agency – did free agency this year make us better or worse? I don't know. I'm so on the fence. I have to just see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, like on paper, you're not as good, right? Like on me pa- again. There's so many, so many different on- factors in hockey. You never know. But on paper, you're not as good as you were last year. I think. Did,
0: but I guess it will come down to goaltending, and we'll see how how well this D corps can can execute with with four guys that have just yeah. were allowed to walk. So I'm I'm inclined to say that we're probably. We didn't get better this free agency, but I'm so on the fence with it. I gotta wait and see what happens. I think it could go either way. However, yeah, you,
1: you definitely didn't get better. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I however, think. the third tier of this for me is the fact that Jeff Ward is still the coach. The fact that Jeff Ward has doubled down in the in the uh, post playoffs. Talking about how this team needs to be more focused on defense, yada, yada, which means we're going to see more of the same systems. There's no way we're better. Yep.
1: Well, again, like, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is like, okay, if if the coaching is so focused on defense, if the manager has come out and said, okay, we're going to be a defense, my priority is defense, it's like, well, you can't go out in good conscience and let Four defensemen, one of which he was very good walk then, right? Like if you look at how the Dallas Stars made the Stanley Cup final, great defense, great goaltending. That's a defense first team. Like they have good defense and goaltending. Okay, you address the goaltending thing. What about the defense? Because the defense is worse, arguably. So that's where it's kind of like I don't I don't really buy what you're selling here, guys. Yeah. But I think so, that's a yeah. good point because again, like this, how many times do we have to say this? If you've built this team under the premise that Johnny Gaudreau is your best player, if you've, like, Johnny Gaudreau's is the motor of this team, if you're playing a style of hockey that he can't thrive under, I, I question how far you're going to be able to get. And maybe that's a flawed analysis, I don't know, but it just from what I've seen over two years, I've seen them play a style that suits Johnny Gaudreau very well. They were absolutely awesome. And then I've seen them do the opposite, and they weren't very good, so.
0: Yeah and I think you, you alluded to this just recently, is like I think this team is going to come down to Jeff Ward next season. If he continues just to be way out of his element in his league, it's going to be a painful season. However, there's one kind of like scenario that you threw out there. If he if he put, wants to put his own stamp on this team and make it his own – and just tinker and tinker and tinker until he, something works, then we might see a little bit of magic. But just from what I've seen with him, I don't, I don't have much faith in him. So
1: I don't have much faith either. And I mean, like again, I'm never gonna count out because as thin as the Flames are up front, they do have, I think, three massive difference makers in Kadro, Kachuk, and manjapani now. So I mean, yeah. let's say Kachuk and Mon. Like obviously Kachuk's. He's still incredibly young and on the upswing. Let's say he comes out and has a monster season, like has hit. Like I know he had a breakout season the year before, the year before this year in the big season, but that was mostly just like Johnny Gaudreau's team. Like if Matthew Kuchuk takes over this team and Johnny Gaudreau can find his game, and Andrew Mangipani can continue to continue to put up really good numbers, like I mean all bets are off. Like if those three guys, man, I wish they could play on a line together. I know none of them are a center, but. Like let's say that let's say the season starts out and your top line is Gaudreau, Monahan, and Kachuk. I I would be already on board. So I'm not gonna count them out just for those three guys. Like those are the X factors for me. Because I think you know I think you know what you're gonna get out of everybody else. I think Lindholm and Monahan are gonna be fine. I think Backlund's gonna do what he does. I mean, it'd be nice if the third line could continue their continue what they're doing in the playoffs. And maybe we add somebody else. Just to hopefully Mark Giordano doesn't fall off a cliff. You know Anderson and Hannifin are gonna be alright. You hope Valamackey's gonna you hope gonna be what we think he's gonna be. But I mean if you if you get monster seasons from those three guys, you could be you could be back to being a contender in the Western Conference. Well And I mean be, again, I'm never gonna count I'm never gonna count out a team that Matthew Gachuk is on.
0: Yeah. And I I guess the other way to look at this too is like I don't know, man. That season with Bill Peters, like that was so much fun. I know. Like we want, was, like was... we just could not stop winning, man. You know how fun it was to like turn on a game and just like pretty much know you're gonna win. Like that was amazing. I went, I
1: went to like so many games that year. I was like at literally every other game. Oh, and so, so like fun.
0: you're, you know, you're rattling off your spiel just now. I'm like, yeah, and you know, adding a ton another top six guy, like that would be that'd really help too. But. Yeah. It's obvious that this, you know, this organization management does not look at the needs of this team the same way we do. They're still, they're still dead set on they need to get tougher. They need to be harder to play against this whole, this whole playoff team notion. Yeah. Um, and so, I guess maybe as a final kind of discussion, we can look at that. I mean, we they made their. They advocated for Lucic for that reason. We did see the effectiveness of both Lucic and Bennett and dubey that line, how unbelievable they were against Dallas. It wasn't enough to win you a series, but we did see that translate to playoff success. Um, I, I almost think like that line is the reason that you almost but beat Dallas. They had no game plan for that line. They had a game plan for everybody else right but that line was able to come out and take over the game um take over a portion of the series I should say so needless to say this flames management group does not look at hockey the same way we do um not everybody looks at it the same way anyways but there's and and some of the fan base as well i mean there's you run into people on Instagram. I run into people on Twitter. Um, there's still a notion out there that, you know, you need guys like this in the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. So I'm curious, to say the least, to see what happens with – with, because, let's face it, the fact that Bradtree Living, through his assessment for this team, does not feel like they need another top six guy. Does not feel like he needs to bring in a different coach to bring in a different system for this hockey team, and on the flip side, feels like his number one priority is to get a, a bona fide number one goaltender that can win and steal you games, as well as quote unquote your defense is a priority, which really means let four guys walk and just sign one guy that's quote unquote oh, that's hard cooked to play in thirty one. Yeah. Like you can see the direction that this team is starting to turn, and I think that what's frustrating for us as fans and you know lovers of this team is the the success that we saw um, under Bill Peters during that first regular season. Fuck, that was fun, and the way that this team is because of the the quick playoff exit, right? And and maybe they're right. I don't know. I don't think they are. I think we're right. But, which, when and what I mean by that is I think it's the systems things you still have to focus on, um, you know, being a, a beast in your transition game and have, you know, the odd man rushes and score off the rush and all that kind of stuff because we saw that work. It's like, to, for me and you, I know, that template works for this team, this roster. But, season by season now the roster is starting to shift and change so you can see what trajectory now brad tree living is trying to push this team into and we'll see what happens we'll see if it's going to be a complete and utter bust um or maybe it works like it looks like it almost worked with Luigi. i don't know we'll see what happens we'll see how it pans out but um I almost feel like this is this is kind of like the tipping point now, right?
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Chris for better made, or for worse. Yeah,
0: Chris Taddevin is probably going to either be the beginning of the end for Bradstreet Living, or it might just work. And I, I think we're both way more inclined to think the former rather than the latter, um, just based on what analytics tells us about hockey now. But... At the end of the day, we'll still have to see how it pans out.
1: Well, I think even the four—like, again, like, it's a—it's a fun— for me, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what wins you hockey games in today's NHL because you look at what the Tampa Bay—you look at how the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Okay, they had incredible skill, top to bottom. They did have a number one goalie, but, I mean, are you looking at that team and saying, oh, Pat Maroon, the guy who brought the intangibles— and and the grit and the playoff experience like he's the reason they won the cup no he was a small part of it and they paid him a little bit to do that it's just like the overpaying for these things that don't really drive winning on the whole like again i i don't know how many times i have to explain this to people i don't Lucic was fine this year and again like you said we saw the difference he made in the playoffs guess what they still lost in round one and you're still paying him five and a quarter so same thing with chris Tanev, right so like this just feels, to me, again, like you said, this is the tipping point. This feels to me like the end of the Sutter era. Like, I'm seeing kind of the same moves. Like, remember when they let Mike Camilleri walk to sign Jay Meester? It was like, well, you don't need Jay Meester. Your defense is already good, and you just let a guy who scores your goals, like, and you desperately need goals, you let him walk. Why? That doesn't make sense. And then things kind of unraveled. It kind of feels like a similar kind of tipping point in that sense. It's like... The GM is committing to a philosophy that I think a lot of us don't think is the right way to go. Maybe we're, hopefully, we're proven wrong. Love to be proven wrong. Love to see some playoff success, but the GM is committed to a philosophy that he's, he's going one way when a lot of us were hoping and thought he'd go another way. And yeah, I, I, again, like that's the other thing too. Like I, I get on these guys for signing future deals. I very much doubt Bradshaw Living is going to be here to see the duration of either one of Chris Tanev or Jacob Barkstrom's deal. through to the end. Like, is he going to be here in six years? Probably not. It's not going to be his problem. So I'm sure that's what he's thinking too. It's like, I'm committing to this way and it's either going to work or I'm not going to be here. So this does definitely feel like a tipping point.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of age-old, well, I guess that's the new age debate, but which which direction is this game going? Like, because you still have people with the old school mentality that feel like, no, instead of guys that, you know, and analytically like, speaking, drive the game are way above replacement level. We're gonna stick with the guys that are below replacement level, um, but are character and and you know will block a shot with their face. So, and I don't know how much of that comes down to you know this school of thought that I really believe in, which is you need two two teams, one to get you into the playoffs and one to get you through the playoffs. Um, So maybe Chris Tanav is a guy that helps you on the latter side of things, but you still got to get there. We almost didn't make it this year. I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens next season, if there is a fucking season, but I'm not actually excited.
1: No, I'm not either. I'm like, it's like, I'm curious in a morbid way. I'm like, it's kind of like dread, you know, I'm like, I think, I think I know exactly how this is going to go. And I don't, want it to go that way but i think it will go that way and i don't it's just gonna be like watching a it's like you're watching a ship sink that you know is gonna be sinking right and it's like you hope it doesn't but yeah it, it feel it feels that way
0: yeah you like, know is this maybe something miraculous will happen and it won't sink let's see <laughs> well i think that's what it was so that like the, god damn
1: it that bill peter's year that's what cuz like do you remember how horrible it was the year before with the end of Glenn Gulleton? Oh my god. I didn't god. even I couldn't watch. I could not watch that team play. It was so horrible. I didn't care about hockey at all. I didn't want to watch. I I went into the 2018-2019 season with no intention to watch. They were so fun to watch that year. They were so good. It was so enjoyable. It was so awesome. And it's just like, we only got one year of that. And now it's like, it kind of feels the same as it was when like Gullet's in year two. It's like, here we go again, you know? So it's like, man, it's like this season, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't want to watch because if it goes the way I think it's going to go, that means this, this iteration of the team is probably over. Like, you're probably moving on from Goudreau. You're probably moving on from, like Gio going to be retired and you're never going to have seen him have any success in his career. Right. So it's like, it's kind of, this is it. This is going to be the end of an era and it's either going to be remembered as they finally got it together or they just did what they always do, which is disappoint. Yeah. So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be interesting and hopefully not hard to
0: watch. That's why I think so much came down to the possibility of replacing the coach. If an, I would be complete, in a completely different situation if yeah, me too. Brad, you're living in the off season. Went out and got a legit head coach for the NHL that you really gave us some hope that he could really change the way this this group plays. And I think that's the biggest biggest kind of downer thing on me is just like yeah. I just I I know Jeff Ward. He's Glenn Gulutzin 2.0. We're that how shitty you felt watching the season play out with under Glenn Gulutzin. I just have a sinking feeling it's gonna be the same thing. Um, just because that's what we yeah. saw this—that's what we saw this this season in the playoffs, even. So, well,
1: and yeah, like the last point for me is like that's where I'm at too. It's like that thing they used to say about Sutter is like he's trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So you're bringing in this same kind of coach, you're still bringing in guys who you say yeah it's going to make us better in the playoffs, tougher to play against stuff like that. It's just it's it's the same stuff, and it's like I can't not expect the same result, right? So I, yeah. man. We'll I'll see play. what happens here, cause like, the, the, geez, there's like, if the season even starts, like you said, it's gonna be in January, so we still have a shit ton of
0: time here. But yeah, like you said, we still have Matthew Kachuk. That That's is like point. the one. That is the one silver lining with all this, man. It's just like, if he's on our club, man, we still got a chance. <laughs> and I'll tell you oh, what, I, we had, we, we had a good you, draft too, so. That's true. I'll tell you what, I am excited for this season. Another year of Mike Smith.